It is Sunday, December 8th, 2019. My name's Anthony, and this is Time Lapse, the podcast where cars and watches are the focus, but tangents are often the reality. Let's get into it. Hey everyone, uh, Anthony back here again on another episode of Time Lapse. Been a little while since I've been on, uh, but I'm happy to uh, to tell you guys uh, I'm back and I'm here with a good friend of mine, Joe Sirocco. He's been on the podcast before. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Anthony. Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure being back here on Time Lapse Podcast. And you'd never know it with a voice as deep and serious as that. <laughs> you're believe, grinning, you're believe, smiling. Believe me, everyone, I'm thrilled. <laughs> no emotion. You're the best, buddy. Um, but of course, I wanted to have you on the podcast, and and we've been talking about this for a while. But it seemed it seemed the right time to do so because there's a hell of a lot of current events going on in the in the car world. And you being um, studying uh, for your business degree here at uh, Schulich and uh, at York University, um, you have a lot of insights on some of these events, some of these industry changing and industry challenging events. Uh, that have been taking place. So I have wanted to have you on the podcast for a little while now to talk about some of these things. And that was spurred on by some more current events that uh, that took place recently. Of course, if you're listening to this podcast, once again, we're in early December of 2019. So we got some car show circuits going on, some releases have come out, and uh, we're going to speak about some of that today. Before we get into that, though, I do want to talk about a, uh, a movie that just recently came out, uh, Ford vs. Ferrari. Now, you saw the movie? Uh, yeah, I just saw it uh, a couple days ago. Okay, and what were your initial thoughts? Well, I, I really liked it. I had some high expectations going in, but uh, it surpassed my expectations in terms of uh, how it was as a film. Uh, I haven't seen, I haven't, don't, I'm not able to watch a lot of films uh, now with my busy schedule, but mm-hmm. I was glad that I was able to watch uh, this one. Mm-hmm. And uh, it definitely surpassed my expectations. First of all, the acting was amazing. Christian Bale and Matt Damon were great. And I love the the actual story behind uh, what happened uh, at Le Mans in the mid '60s between Ford and Ferrari. Being a self-respecting Italian, did you did you feel slighted uh, watching watching Ferrari be bashed the way that they? I wouldn't say they were bashed, but um, there is there is a uh, around that time, and the movie kind of portrayed this. Enzo Ferrari was seen as an assassin. And um, and maybe it got a little bit better toward that year in Le Mans, uh, toward toward where they where they were at that point, being of course remarkable uh, cars and and being consistently winning that race. But um, the build up to that was very difficult for Enzo Ferrari. In fact, he 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 struggled. I, I read a book that the movie was uh, borrowed a lot of its information from. It's called Go Like Hell, and I, I recommend it to anyone if you like the story. It's great. Um, but it was a struggle for Enzo Ferrari because his own his own country uh, at one point hated him because every driver he put in his car would would run the risk of dying. It was it was like a ridiculous amount. He had pictures on his desk of all the of all the dead drivers because his cars were so fast and so light, um, so overpowered uh, that uh, he he believed that they you truly had to be uh, man enough to drive his car. Um, but so th- again, back to my original uh, question, I guess. Did you all feel slighted? Did you, did you feel that movie kind of portrayed uh, Italians in a bit of a negative light? Or well, I, I, you got to understand the context. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's written uh, by an the, American. the Americans versus the Italians. But yeah. I don't feel slighted because of the success that they've had mm-hmm. and that the further success that they've had. Uh, they no longer do the Le Mans race, but then the success they've had in Formula One is 
speaks for itself. The Scuderia Ferrari, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Oh, of course. So, yeah. uh, no, they are no, a brilliant team. That's just the reality of the time of, of what happened. But mm-hmm. I like the portrayal of the different characters, which was pretty accurate between the actual real life. Like Lee Yak- Yakoka was uh, one of the best. Um, say, say that again? <laughs> Well, <laughs> in the forties, like Lee Yakaka, uh, that's um, Ayakoka. I think Aya, Ayakoka or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that's John Bernthal's character. Is a yes. great actor, but yeah. uh, the actual guy was uh, one of the better managers, uh, CEOs of of Ford. Mm-hmm. So um, that was good, and seeing that uh, with Henry Ford II, that's how they really were, and the realities of the time. And I liked how they balanced the business aspect of it versus the technical aspect. So you have obviously Christian Bale and Matt Damon's characters being the real life. Uh, guys who put together the car but also they had to take into account the business side of it because ford was really bleeding in terms of sales then mm-hmm. uh with chevrolet the impala coming out in 1958 and really eating to, into their market share yeah. and becoming basically america's car um it was really well for the time the impala they would improve upon the details every year and it became more and more popular with the american public and then by 1963 they released the chevelle and that's when really uh, Ford was getting its ass kicked and really needed to uh, do something about it. So you really looked into the, like the, the actual like what was happening back then, because I like I said I've been reading the book, but I haven't you know it, I haven't gone to those specific things. But yeah, that's really interesting. Well, I, I had no idea. That's... You see, the 1960s and it's a good parallel because back then there was a real period of change in terms of technology and, mm-hmm. and uh, consumer behavior that's with right. the automotive vehicles, the counterculture, and the fact that they and I like the fact that they mentioned that baby boomers were being born and. They didn't want their father's roadster, you know, those slow little 1950s cars. They wanted fast and they want speed, speed and and uh, sleek designs. Mm-hmm. Now we're seeing that uh, in another, you know, 60 years later. But we're seeing that with the transition of of technology between combustion 100%. engines to electric vehicles, which we'll get into soon. But I like the parallels there. And again, during the 60s, you had all, you know, you had the Firebird, you had the Chevelle, you had the Charger and Challenger later on in the decade, and they were all competing for the same space, and that was really what took off the American muscle car, um, and then obviously the GT40 inspired the racing side mm-hmm. of things. Um, so it was just a period of change in, in the American automotive industry, and we're seeing that now in a different way, albeit with way more competition. I 100% agree with you there, and um, uh, with, with the point that the there's so many parallels <clears throat> to what was happening back then. With the introduction, uh, try not to rub your beard. It comes through on the mic. <laughs> but um, there's so many parallels to back then and now with regards to, like you said, that change, right? Uh, back then, boomers, and they said in the movie, for the first time, young people have money in their pockets. And it's kind of like scary to think that like back then, yeah, that's maybe how it was. They didn't really have the safety regulations that they do today. And if you had money in your pocket and you wanted to be like a cool young person, Put the money down, get yourself a sports car. There's a scene in the movie where a kid picks up an AC Cobra, right from uh, from Shelby's mm-hmm. uh, garage yeah. there in, in LA, um, and uh, or in California, and uh, and that was awesome. What was, was that? Was that your Siri? Yeah, was it was. Weird. Sorry, nice. we'll, we'll nice. edit that after. You'd probably mute that. No, <laughs> no, it's fine. But uh, no, that was really cool. And also, one thing I really like about the movie. I've been a fan of, of automotive culture around the world for years, um, for years, like since I was young. And I always, being a Ford guy, you know, I call myself that, I guess, like having my, my father be heavily invested in the brand and, and, and having Ford trucks around me my whole life, I always found that it was interesting that 
when watching like Top Gear, for example, a European auto, uh, auto show, they t- spoke a lot about Ford. Ford had a huge presence in Europe as well, but cars I'd never heard of. And if you watch this movie, you kind of understand why. Winning at Le Mans, being the first Americans to win at Le Mans in an American car, or first American manufacturer, I think, um, that is that was an incredible feat. And it pushed car sales for Ford's European divisions, right? Ford uh, of Italy uh, was instrumental in that as well. Uh, they instrumental actually in in the idea to buy out Ferrari oh, when the, they uh, thought the race it was team, real. Yeah, they won yeah. in 1964. Yeah, and and so there was like there were huge implications at the time for 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 Ford to uh, to enter that race, develop something that could win, and pull it off. Huge implications that would lead to generations of of what what people would consider themselves Ford uh, customers, Ford buyers, right? So I really like how the movie kind of displayed that, and uh, and it was just like a little bit of insight into how how that brand is carried on. Um, uh, so I just think that's really cool, and of course, being a bit of a, a car buff, you kind of like to think that history may repeat itself. So you you choose modern brands that are doing similar things. I think we can all agree Tesla, you know, is tackling that right now, and we'll probably get more into that. Um, but one thing uh, I do remember from the movie, which, which by the way, I loved, I don't know if I had a chance to say, I absolutely loved it. And if anyone's listening right now and hasn't seen it, if you want to see how these cars sounded and moved, oh my God, like the oh, scenes, yeah, you'll, you'll never hear, you don't hear cars sound like that anymore. AC sure. Cobras, like Shelby, like real AC Cobras are worth multi millions of dollars. Like, like they are ridiculously expensive at this point. You will never see, and these are obviously replicas that they're driving, but you'll never see an AC Cobra with its tail end out mm-hmm. and, and, you know, a, a guy who knows how to drive it aggressively driving it. That's what you get to see in this movie. You get to see the GT40 in its development stages doing incredible things. The sound of the engine just like it, it's automotive pornography if you, if you enjoy that kind of stuff. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, I highly recommend it. I think it was, I think it's a great film. Um, maybe it's a little bit biased, obviously, towards uh, Ford of America, but um, but I think it is a, all in all a great movie and great acting, like you said, uh, especially from uh, Christian Bale. His portrayal of Ken Miles was like I, I I watched videos and stuff, and it was spot on. I love that Cockney accent he had, like just uh, he was and a really for the first time I think in a long time he didn't have to do an American accent on on, true. on screen, which yeah. is uh, refreshing because yeah. we all know he's British. You mean he didn't have to do an American accent or talk like this <laughs> where where are they <laughs> no he didn't have to do that certainly where are they yeah exactly he was able to actually be a little bit more of himself maybe a di- from a different you, you know, know what i'd like to area. see uh, a movie out of asia that outlines uh like nissan with datsun or mm-hmm. with honda there because there's so much history beto- behind that oh, yeah if if only we had like a movie a similar movie but with the gtr that'd be really cool if, so japan if you're listening you know chill with the godzilla and yeah, give us something different. That would be nice. Yeah, please. Um, and you know what? It's uh just to just to talk about a um a, like a, a similarity there. This whole movie was about Ford performance, helping to sell Fords. Honda designed engines first in for like like motorcycles, right? He built small performance engines, and he, and he put them into cars afterwards. But racing had always been like a, a part of Honda's be, uh of Honda's plan because if you could prove your engine was reliable enough to race of course it'd be reliable enough for a regular person to drive to use so i i love that idea of performance being the benchmark for everything else 
If you can engineer a sports car, a performance car that can push the mechanical limits, you have engineered something that can be reliable every day and that is fun enough to keep people interested, sell the cars out of the showrooms, but keep people enjoying them through and through yeah. through, through the rest yeah. of that material's life. And I found the first scene of the movie when he um, there's that customer who comes up to Ken Miles' uh, mm-hmm. garage and he's driving a sports car. I don't know which, I can't remember the car. Ooh, I think it was like a Triumph. It was something British, something. Uh, yeah, and then he goes, uh, well, you don't change gears on a sports car at 2,000 RPM, yeah. and then you don't know how to drive your own car. And then the guy just goes like bumping on the road, mm-hmm. and uh, it was pretty funny. You know what? And, and I'll share this now because I think it's hilarious. There, There's that that scene, right? And uh, being in customer service in the auto industry, that's like something you never tell a customer. You can't tell a customer they don't know how to drive. But I've recently, because um, I work at a Honda dealership, I've had the unfortunate uh, opportunity to have conversations with people about the new Type R's, uh, customers complaining of a gear grind. And I I didn't know what it was because I've driven these, these Type R's extensively and I've never been able to get the gears to grind. And if you know anything about manual transmissions, for for a manual transmission to grind, if there's an actual problem there, it'll be relatively replicable. You because a manual transmission is so simple. I mean, at least in in its understanding. Again, stop with the beard rubbing. But the uh, <laughs> the manual transmission is so simple. If if gears are grinding, it means there's a part of the transmission not doing its job. Right. The first thing you're going to think of is the synchro that's responsible for slowing the uh, the the moving parts of the transmission enough so the next gear can be engaged. But if everything's working there and the customer's still complaining of gear grind, there's a problem. Well, it's them. Exactly. So now I, I I had no way to prove my point until I finally said with a customer, let's go for a drive. Show me how you got you grind these gears. And you know what he did? Brought me to a empty road, turned off traction control. <laughs> and he's like, watch, all I got to do is get the RPMs up to 5,000, dump the clutch, slam from first to second and it'll grind and i'm like that's how you're grinding these gears that's how you're doing it oh my old my old b series uh honda was great it never never ground gears before then you just have to remind them yeah it was a different vehicle this vehicle it requires a little bit more finesse it also offers you a little bit more right um but that it's those kinds of things where uh where ken miles is right he may have tackled it wrong uh, by telling the person straight up, you don't know how to drive your car. You're never gonna, you're never gonna win anyone over. By well, that was that. more for like the yeah, dramatic, dramatic, effect. yeah. But but, uh, but it is true. There is something called mechanical sympathy, and if you lack it, you will run into issues. The same thing as the person who drops their iPhone in a bowl of chili, and then goes back to Apple and says, "What's wrong with my iPhone? The button doesn't work anymore." Well, yeah, you dropped in a bowl of chili. Yeah, don't worry, Anthony. We're gonna have all self-driving cars anyway in ten years. Oh so boy, you'll never. You, you guys will go out of business. Okay, well, believe me, Honda will be on the on the cusp of that industry. But speaking of self-driving cars and Ford and change in the automotive industry, a big unveiling from Ford that nobody is thinking about anymore because something else happened. Um, the new Mustang Mach-E, which is pretty cool. I say that with a bit of sarcasm. <laughs> what do you think about the Mustang Mach-E, Joe? So, yeah, as you mentioned, it's a pretty polarizing mm-hmm. issue among... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, the old, you know, the fans of the pony cars and Mustangs versus mm-hmm. progression of the way the industry is going. I have kind of mixed feelings, though, but I do have a positive outlook on it. Yeah. Look, so it's, yeah, technically it's it's a Mustang, but it doesn't, it just has the same taillights and the front grille, but it's not really a Mustang. Yeah. It's a crossover SUV uh, or SUV rather, and it's still going to be, so it's all fully electric and it's going to be. It's going to come in nine trims. It's going to have... It needs to. Uh, 
Well, I mean, the way they're going for it is they're trying to build volume. So mm-hmm. they're trying to get as many, which is on as many price points to as many people as possible, which is unusual for Ford, which has always been on efficiency and on not, they don't really have too many trims for their vehicles. Do you know what Henry Ford told people when, the, when Chevy started releasing different trim levels? What? He's like, yeah, you can get your Model T in two different ways, black or black. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've, I've, I've heard are, that quote. Those yeah, are yeah. our trim levels. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but, but this is, what, 1927? So, well, yeah, but I'm just so, saying, like, that that yeah. yeah, that that idea, you're right, is a shift. Um, I, Obviously, they've changed since then. I mean, look at the F-150s. F-150s have tons of different trim levels. Yeah, and there's and, so and many, options. like the Raptors, and there's three or four different types there alone. Yeah, like cab sizes and different things. It's it's they, They're building modular vehicles, but it's one of their best-selling can I give you my insights on the Mustang Mach-E? Uh, well, I'm not done yet. Oh, sorry. Oh, please continue. Continue. Uh, so then, so they have like the regular uh, trim, the base model, but then they also have the GT Performance, which is pretty powerful for an electric car, 459 horsepower, mm-hmm. all-wheel drive. So I don't know. I think it's it, for some people who, who want to get into electric cars but want something quote-unquote cool, I think it's a, a nice way to get into that. And I think the the industry is going to change into that regardless, and yeah. I think they're ahead of their time in the sense that they had this is something they had to do, and I think a lot of people, mostly boomers, uh, they have to kind of realize that this is the the times and things are going to change forever, and they they are changing, and mm-hmm. this is the way things are going to be now. And you know, for some people, they appreciate that it has the Mustang name on it, although I can't really consider it a a pony car, but. This is the way it's it's gonna go, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see other vehicles take their iconic brands and turn them into electric. Uh, don't be surprised if you see a Porsche 911 electric down the road. Uh, they're gonna do an F150 all electric in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's already been planned. They oh, have yeah. they have a hybrid coming out next year, and by 2021, 2022, they will have an all electric F150. And they did a test actually. Couple, what is it? This, don't, this don't, fall, don't call that a test. Uh, about the, that's not a test. The, the train. That's not a test. Uh, I don't that's, know. That's 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 a marketing stunt. It's not. Do you, do you know how? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna explain why that's a marketing stunt. But there's many videos online that explain it. Anyway, a train, no matter how how heavy it is, trains are are efficient at what they do because of how little rolling resistance there is. So you can pull a 30 car train that has a total net weight or gross weight of however many tons but all those all those tons are sitting on two flat pieces of steel that are the smaller than the size of a penny on each wheel like there's so little rolling resistance that as long as you can get traction and you have enough you, you could pull that even top gear america did that test with a with a f250 and they pulled the train it, it's a it's a easy thing to do with not like well I shouldn't say easy but it's it's more than doable there's other vehicles out there that can do it but again, that was Ford doing a marketing stunt, similar to what the Cybertruck did. I can't wait to talk about that a yeah. little bit. So what are your thoughts on the Ford Mach-E? Okay, so number one, uh, let's tackle why people didn't like it from the first part. They didn't like it because it didn't really revolutionize anything about the Mustang. It looks like a Ford crossover. And Ford right now, after axing all their small cars, has a ton of crossovers already. So this just looks like another crossover. There's nothing really exciting about it. They also, a lot of people didn't like the fact that it's called a Mustang. And I can understand that. But that doesn't really bother me because if you look back into like the history of Mustang, Mustang was always about changing. It was, it was, the, it was changing perspective of you know, with the with the original Mustang, when Ford brought out this little Roadster, this little uh, two-door, and it was seen as a secretary's car back then, 
It was about changing the idea. We're going to offer a performance, a fun, uh, reliable, and inexpensive car for young people to drive. Now they're now they're changing. Now they're making a, a, a it's going to be fun because it's electric, tech-filled uh, crossover car that's going to be fun to drive. So calling it a Mustang, I'm not offended. I think that Ford only really has two big nameplates. That's the F-150 and the Mustang. So then I weren't going to call it an F-150, and they weren't going to come up with a new name for it. So they called it a Mustang, and they're calling it the Mach-E. That's, you know, throwing back to the old uh, the Mach-1 Mustang. I think they called it Mach-1. Yeah, it was yeah. Mach-1, yeah. Which was another big change for Mustang back in the day when they changed the look of the car. I think they put a bigger engine. Yeah, it's on. not the first time they've changed yeah. the look completely of a Mustang. Exactly. So when people are upset about the car, I get that. Do you remember the 90s Mustang? They called that a Mustang. It looked like a fucking Ford Taurus. So... Uh, yeah. who, who who really it was is a, to that say, was a tough decade for Ford. Yeah, late I think it was late 90s. So anyway, I'm not upset about the name. I think it's fine. Am I what I do think that they they missed a huge mark on is Ford has to learn from companies like Tesla. If Ford had released a Mustang that looked different enough, like the Cybertruck looks different enough, there would have been a a totally different representation. Also, don't bring Id- Idris Elba on as your um, as your uh, ambassador, celebrity ambassador. Yeah, he's a good-looking guy, and uh, and people like him. I like Idris Elba, but I don't want him talking about an electric Ford. I don't associate him well, with cars, regardless of the fact that he played Black Superman in uh, in what was it called? Oh, uh, Hobbs, Hobbs and, and Shaw. Shaw. Yeah, I don't associate him with well, cars. At you all. know, you know why they brought him in is because mm-hmm. his dad and he worked for Ford in the past. Okay. That that'd be a great story to tell me in a magazine. Why would you put that? You had so much writing on this press release. Why would you put him in that? No one knew that before. Get a guy like Jay Leno out there. Get a guy like uh, who's another huge automotive personality that people enjoy watching. Even some of the personalities from Motor Trend would have been cool because that's a trusted source of information. And to have that person out there and people think that this person is standing behind the product, that would have been, I think, a better idea than bringing on a celebrity who. I mean, I know we, we, I, I wouldn't have known that story. I read it in an article yeah. or else I would have just been like, okay, I, why? I know now. Cause you told me like, and yeah, granted I didn't watch the whole live reveal, but that was another mistake. There was nothing special about the reveal. The Tesla reveal of the Cybertruck had clickbaity things. He threw a ball through the, through the glass yeah, and the it shattered the glass. Uh, glass. Yeah. 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 And, and they started smacking the body with a baseball bat or something, you know, like there, it, it looked completely crazy and rash. And even in a small clipping on, on an Instagram feed, you would be like, holy shit, what the hell is this? This doesn't look, this looks like a, a DeLorean that got stuck in a trash compactor. Well, to me, when I first saw the, the new Cybertruck, I mm. first, first image <laughs> I, I thought when I saw it, Daft Punk going to Home Depot, pulling up into the contractor entrance, and uh, that's what they would drive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what? I, I thought it was a joke, and I shared my opinion with a lot of people, and I, I even posted I thought that it was a joke. I thought that they were trolling Ford because Ford released an electric vehicle, so I thought Tesla was like, hey, you guys want to release an electric vehicle? Here's our truck, <laughs> and then and there you go. Well, it's, but it's not. It's, a, it's marketing genius. Oh, it, it's, you know what? It's but I'm ama- tired because of people calling calling uh, what's his face Elon, Elon Musk, Musk and and everyone at Tesla marketing geniuses. You know what? They they should exist. These people should exist. We have never had more opportunity to get get ideas out there to be as creative as possible. But you're dealing with this old system in the automotive industry: Ford, General Motors, Honda, Toyota, who is inept and unable to do stuff like this. This social media craze. It's baseless. Like what what Elon Musk is doing is baseless. What um, I don't know if you saw that video of the Cybertruck pulling an F one fifty. 
I didn't. It made huge things. It, it got so many people angry, including my father. Oh, my God. My dad was going nuts because my dad, not only being a, a Ford F-150 owner, is also a huge gear nut or, uh, sorry, uh, like um, like drivetrain nut. And he understands that the Cybertruck being an electric motor and transferring its power to one, uh, what was it called? Not torque converter. But you have, like, it's transferring power through one set of gears. Mm-hmm is not equivocal, even no matter how much torque the electric motor has, to a, uh, a an, elect, um, uh, an F-150 that has multiple components to its drivetrain that split power multiple ways. I think uh, watching the um, Engineered Explained video, Engineering Explained video, I'm not sure if you follow uh, Yeah, I, know, I think you, you posted on your account. It's a great video. And I saved it to watch later, but then I mm-hmm. never got a chance. Uh, it really explains it well. Basically, it, 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 all things considered, what we know about these trucks, that the Teslas are capable of a 10 to 1 um, like torque ratio, right? Uh, one mm-hmm. turn of the motor equals 10 turns of the wheel, something like that. Or 10 turns. I, I Again, I'm not, I'm not an engineer. But the, the, the Ford has like something like 40 to 1. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's vastly superior uh, in, in being able to put its power down because it has multiple. It has a transmission. It has a torque converter. It has a differential in the rear. So it's able to put each turn of the engine to the ground in a more robust uh, and and uh, multiply its power torque multiplier I don't know. in a better way. So Elon's test was baseless because the his truck was heavier, but it, it wasn't about proving a point that's right. And that's what my dad can't understand. It's about a clickbaity video and watching this truck seemingly pull another truck up a hill. <clears throat> it, that's all it was. He never stated that his truck was more powerful than an F-150 or all he said was, or all the video said was Tesla pulls F-150 uphill, something like that. Very basic, wasn't meant to to prove anybody wrong or to prove a point. It was just meant to cause this anger and and, and stir up these emotions and enthusiasts. Well, and that's the it, way you sell it's a kind car. of like the literal sense of what they did when they, it's like a literal version of disrupting technology mm-hmm. and they've literally disrupted, but not, not in the sense of disrupting the industry. They literally just disrupted people with their, with the idea. But I think, look, they've got cash to burn. Mm-hmm. They can do these kinds of things. They have done these kinds of things and they're only going to continue to do these kinds You're of things. You're referring to Tesla. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, Elon Musk specifically as a, as a, yeah. as a CEO and, and what he does with, even SpaceX and all that. Mm-hmm. That's just what he does. And that's what Tesla does. It's really good for their brand. Uh, I think this, it, whether you call it, a, some people call it a stunt. I think it was a strategic move Yeah. in this, but for attention and whether or not this thing actually gets off and ever, we ever see them on the road. This, oh, we'll see them on the road, but they're not, they're not, that's not a pickup truck. No, it's a, it's a clout machine. Just like the same way, a. Uh, a G wagon. Uh, well, actually, the Hummer G-Wagon was. Remember, well, yeah, uh, that was in a but, similar, but way shittier. But yeah, but both the Hummer and the G wagon were, were serious, and G wagon are seriously capable vehicles. I think that this is more like you're gonna you're gonna see people driving this for clout. I I don't know what you're gonna see them doing much with it because it's a very heavy vehicle, and for electric cars, you don't necessarily want a lot of weight because that's well, how more big is the battery? the battery? I can only imagine. The battery's got to be substantial. To, to There's a tri-motor version of this. So I don't think there's any Teslas out at the moment with tri-motor. The only vehicle that comes to mind when I think of three-motor is the uh, Acura NSX. <clears throat> mm-hmm. It has uh, two motors up front, with two electric motors up front, and one electric motor in the rear with the gas. But it also has a generator in its gas that's engine. That's heavy. Yeah. That's heavy. Oh, yeah. But it, but again, it's it, it works really well, apparently. 
Um, well, I mean, look, we're <laughs> going with electric and I have my data here. Oh, your data. Okay. So are we moving then towards, uh, so well, let's just wrap up what we thought about the Mustang. Yeah. Um, I think both of us agree. It is a good idea. Ford needed to enter this market, but I will say that they botched the unveiling. The, now it's going to be probably two years until anyone gets excited about this car. People are going to be excited for the acceleration tests and stuff like that. But, I mean, you, you, you lost all hype. You lost all hype about this vehicle. No one even gives a shit because everyone's paying attention to the Cybertruck. And guess what? It's an electric car, too, so it's occupying that, that market. Yeah, but we'll see. I mean, so they get, they're going to be releasing the Mustang Mach-E next one year from now, late 2020. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I mean, they've signed Idris Elba so they can get him to do, uh, you know, commercial stuff. But uh, any, I don't know what they, they'll make him do. But I would it, like to see a GT350 with an electric drivetrain. I think that would be cool. Well, now that they have this platform, that's what they're going to base all their yeah. tech on from now on. And mm-hmm. this is going to get into, like, what some of the stuff that I've I've seen. So, like, if you look at the industry from the industry perspective, uh <clears throat> So whenever investors, they measure growth, they use uh, what's called compound annual growth rate, CAGR, which measures basically the rate of return on, uh, you take every industry and it measures the rate, rate of return. Mm-hmm. I'm for, already falling asleep, but continue. <laughs> for their investment. Yeah. So you look at electric vehicles, which are now classified in its own industry, separate from conventional cars. Mm-hmm. The CAGR of the of electric vehicles from now to 2025, so from five years from now is about 31% per year. So to put that into perspective, you have mature industries like pharmaceuticals, uh, green energy and e-commerce. So pharmaceuticals own their growth rate is 11%. Agriculture is 15%. These are commodities. These are well-known hundreds of years mm-hmm. worth of, these are some of the biggest industries in the world. E-commerce, which is the next biggest thing, which is exploding is only 22%. And we have electric vehicles at 31 the only thing that's mm-hmm. going faster is oil and gas, but that's because it's a fossil fuel. Yeah. So there's enormous potential, and there's a lot of, of hype between these vehicles. A lot of investors, people like myself, were very bullish on electric vehicles coming in, where, where there was skepticism about five, six years ago, even up to three years ago. And what bullish yeah. means is that there's a positive outlook on the market and the mm-hmm. stocks. So there's a positive outlook on in that industry. So... Originally, it was 2025 to 2030 where they were expecting electric vehicles to, to surpass conventional cars. Mm-hmm. It was thought of as uh, unrealistic and people were laughing at that, but it's becoming more and more likely that that will be the case. And remember, even 10, 11 years ago, they thought the iPhone was just a gimmick and was just a fad, but look where we are now. So with electric vehicles, whether you like it or not, that's that's the future. And Ford needed to do something mm-hmm. like this, this drastic, and it could propel them further. And mm-hmm. who knows what they can do with this kind of tech? They could put this into their different cars, yep. and not just Ford Focuses and the regular conventional cars, but actual racing performance cars. The F one fifty, like we mentioned before, we don't know how 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 far that can go. Uh, as long as once they have the technology built in. They could perfect it and make their trucks even more powerful than mm-hmm. they've ever been, and that could change the whole sector for the the truck segment. So, it's a good move now. Whether now it's up to their R and D teams and their tech teams to develop and further develop the technology. Which that's what they'll need. Yeah, yeah. To and, be com- to be comparative with Tesla, they they have they they can obviously manufacture a car, but can they manufacture or can they 
sublet out the work to the proper tech companies to give them the other half of the equation when it comes to electric cars. Because, I mean, look, you're not you're not you're not changing the wheel. Literally, you're not no. you're not remaking the wheel. You're also not remaking the brake suspension or uh, or tires. But you do have to make a new form of tech to go along with this vehicle. And that's one thing. If you ever have you ever driven a Tesla? I've been in one. I have been in one. It's uh, it's like sitting it's in great. a phone. Yeah, like you're you're sitting in a personal device, right? You get in, screen operates just like your phone. You, it's intuitive. It's, it feels like an extension of mm-hmm. you. Whereas you hop into even a Honda, new Honda, you press the screen. It's like a two second delay before it gives you what you want. It just doesn't feel intuitive. It's not what it's. It's a step backwards from what we're used to. So Ford has to really mandate that. And in fact, the inside of the Mach E looks a lot like a Tesla. So they, mm-hmm. they have borrowed yeah, from does. that. And I don't think uh, Tesla really cares. I think that that's, a, that's more of a, uh, an honor uh, or, you know, it's a, it's a, hey, look, Ford is following what we're doing. They, they have Imitation is way. the best form of flattery. Exactly. Um, well, I had but one... So my point, sorry, yeah, sorry, just to wrap up. Yeah. You know, they didn't think they would happen with the GT40 in 1964. No, and, here we and, go. And they did yeah. it. So who knows? But mm-hmm. uh, at least they're way ahead of everybody else. And we'll get to... FCA soon. Uh, oh, they're, they're the strongest uh, of the three domestics. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm very excited to get to FCA and talk a little bit about that. Before we do, I do want to make one thing. I think I said this on the podcast before. What what you said there about the projections for electric vehicles, it's very simple. History repeats itself. When have you ever have you ever had to fix a lawnmower? Um, nothing too out of the ordinary. Because my point involves involves knowing a bit about carburetors. Uh, and then for most people who have experienced carbureted engines, they experience them on on like tool engines, like car, mm-hmm. like lawnmowers, like just small engines. Exactly. Yeah. Carburetors are inherently dirty. You, you something that we're so far removed from now. Driving modern in uh, modern um, internal combustion engines is you don't you don't ever smell gas. You never get gas on you. You never have to have to force a car to start unless the battery's dead. And even boosting a battery is a relatively clean job. But if you ever worked on older cars cars pre um when computers were in cars solving problems you know multiple times hundreds of times a second you had to do a lot of listening feeling touching getting your hands dirty getting stinky and smelly and going in uncomfortable places today's kids don't know about that you really know all you really need to do that's dirty is maybe lift the hood to fill your washer fluid boost a battery change a spare tire most kids aren't really kids i say young people aren't really doing anything more than that so when I talk to people about carburetors, they inherently think it's a disgusting, you know, dirty thing. And it is. When I look at the inside of an internal combustion engine bay, like in a newer Honda Civic, for example, and I look at how complex it looks, how scary it looks, how dirty it gets over time, and how it involves oil, gas, heat, explosions. Uh, there's, so many, there's so many fundamentally dangerous and dirty things in this engine bay. And then I think that my kids will look at this engine bay as the most ridiculous thing, the same way I look at carburetors, like over complicated for what it needs to do because they're going to grow up in an era where you pop the front hood on a car and you throw your lunch in it because it's a big storage bin. You'll never see any parts of the drivetrain on the car. You All you're going to know is the storage spaces unless you put the car up in the air and then you see a battery and you see an electric motor, which inherently we understand to be very clean and far less complex because you can't see the moving parts. You can't see electricity, but you can see oil, pistons, gas. So what my whole point here is electric is the future, the same way that 
fuel injection was the future versus carburage. It's just a better and more efficient way of doing things. And there's no more stark contrast that there are no, no more stark display of that than the idea of looking at a carbureted engine and fiddling around with it and getting your hands covered in gas to just having to boost your car or change a spare tire or top up your washer fluid. And eventually it'll solely be about topping up washer fluid and maybe changing tires on an electric car. There's, there's nothing else that really will need to be done by, by a regular person except a software update, which is going to be inherently clean. And uh, I know I'm, I'm, I'm going on a very specific I tangent decide, here, but okay. Boomer. Well, what do you mean, boomer? I'm not no, saying it's bad. No, I, I think it's great. No, I, just, I no, I agree with you. It's yeah. just when you then you mention the kids and that's that stupid phrase just stuck in my head from social media. So what? But, what kids? The oh, because uh, yeah, like yeah. like people are younger. Well, no, no, but, no. I I agree 100. percent But mm-hmm. and it's kind of sad to me seeing dirty, like, greasy engine bays are are going to be gone. But it, that's like, but that's what cars have always been like, and yeah. it's a little sad to think that's uh, that's how it is. But I mean. It's the future, and uh, it's the future, and there will always be there will always be a market for for people who are actually enthusiasts, enthusiasts. and yeah. and this is we're not even talking about self driving cars, which is another thing completely oh, all all in its yeah. own. But again, we don't know. I I'm, I'm not bullish on that to be honest. I don't think that's gonna explain bullish to me one more so time. So bullish. So when you say I'm bullish on this, mm-hmm. you have a high expectation or higher returns for that. That market, you have high expectations. Okay. It will perform. Okay. Like based on stock I'm price and market on value. I'm bullish electric cars. That's, yeah. That's so you, a, you yeah. think that electric cars are going to be successful? That's what it means. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. That's all. Makes, that's a, just that's a business a term. term. Wow. Business terms. Great. Thank you. If you're tuning in, time of podcast. No. Um. Okay. So I think. Uh. I think. I think we've we've and I've used this term before on the podcast. Mike used to hate it, but we we've beat this uh, topic to a as a as a dead horse. It's it's dead. It's got no more left in it. So why don't we move on to another topic, one I think you're excited to speak about a little bit, Fiat Chrysler of America. No, that's Fiat Chrysler Automobiles. FCA. Oh, FCA is Fiat Chrysler Automobiles? I thought yeah. it was Fiat Chrysler of America. No. Okay. All right. Well, please okay, share, so, uh, share with us your insights on, on Fiat Chrysler So Automobiles. we're talking about recent so recent news in, in the automotive industry. Yes. Uh, so we talked about the Cybertruck and Ford Mustang Mach-E, but mm-hmm. there's another big news coming uh, between the proposed merger between FCA, Fiat Chrysler Automotive, and the PSA Group, which owns Peugeot, Citroen, and Opel, and Vauxhall. If I'm sorry, oh, if I'm, I, I know sorry if I'm uh, no, no. Per, uh, butchering that, but they're so that's a PSA Group in mm-hmm. France uh, merging. So this was in late October, a proposal to merge. It'll be a 50 50 merger mm-hmm. worth $50 billion. So it's a just straight swap of stocks. So it doesn't mean so neither owns each other, but mm-hmm. they will be merged fifty uh, fifty. Now the it has not been signed yet. There's been delays in it, but it's only a matter of time. Um, they were uh, Fiat Chrysler was supposed to merge with Renault back in June, mm-hmm. but things fell through at the last second uh, because the CEO of Renault was uh, Renault and Peugeot are separate entities. Yeah, Renault is the number one French automaker in the world. Yeah its own company it's mm-hmm. actually merged with nissan the nissan yes. mitsubishi group that's right and psa peugeot is its own uh second biggest mm-hmm. in the in france and one of the most known reputable brands in europe and uh so yeah they would combine that uh probably heading into the new year and is this just like for like you said it's a straight stock swap are we talking about like just in the in the in the monetary sense, or are we going to see like platform sharing? Is, is it is it to to trade ideas as well? Like like so, 
So that's a good question because that's what I thought originally. Mm-hmm. But I looked into it and it doesn't, at this moment in time, doesn't look like they're sharing platforms. Mm-hmm. But what they are sharing is costs. So and the reason why they're doing this is that they, so Fiat Chrysler, we mentioned this earlier, but they are really far behind when it comes to electric vehicles mm-hmm. over everybody else. And they, they've known this for years, but they haven't been able to get on board on, as quick enough as they can. Yeah. So with electric vehicles, we know costs are, are going down, but for a late mover like Fiat, um, they're going to incur enormous costs on electric vehicles. So the biggest cost that we have in electric vehicles is research and development, which is mm-hmm. extremely expensive, especially for Fiat Chrysler, who hasn't, who's barely done, I think they only have two electric vehicles in, out of their entire lineup. One is a Fiat, and then the other, I, I can't remember, might be a Chrysler, but they're so far behind that they, they, they really needed to act quick to try and catch up to everybody. And mm-hmm. right now, when you're a first mover going to this tech, so this would have been car companies 10 years ago, research and development is so expensive that you have to build up the economies of scale before costs go down. Yeah. But that would take four or five years, and Fiat Chrysler doesn't have four or five years to catch up with everybody else in the industry. Of so course. by merging with Peugeot which and Citroën, who have been first movers in this kind of technology earlier this century, and that makes me feel so old, but we are uh, it's 2020 almost. We're a few weeks away. So about 20 years ago, they were already into electric cars, one of the first European— Really? Yeah, one of the first Europeans to that. get into hmm. electric vehicles. And uh, so they've got the tech, and they've already got a lot of resources there. So with FCA merging with them, they're going to share the costs on developing electric cars, mm-hmm. which is going to help them catch up uh, within a couple of years to everybody else. But for Peugeot, not only do they get access to North America, which they want in, originally they set a target for 2026, but by 2023, we should see Peugeot vehicles like the 308s, the 208s, the 3008s SUVs here in North America at your local Chrysler Dodge dealership. Similar to what they did with Fiat back in the early 2010s. That's exactly what they're aiming for. Interesting. And Citroën as well, which a lot of people do know in, uh, it's actually the third biggest French automaker. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's very known in Europe and especially in the UK. So the UK, they sell a lot of Peugeots and Citroëns in the the United Kingdom. So it's it's well known in Europe, but not so much here. But I, I would fear the same fate of Fiat is that if you if you sell cars built for a European market to people who are used to larger vehicles, like Japanese automakers like Honda, Nissan, and Toyota do not sell global vehicles because by nature, cars that are driven in Japan because of you know space constraints mm-hmm. and, and high density are smaller, much smaller than, than what, what we require here. They don't sell a Honda Pilot in Japan. They don't need a Honda Pilot. An element would be enough, right? Or a HRV, what we drove here and today, would be enough um, for a family, right? So that kind of scares me that the idea that, that Peugeot and Citroën think that there's a market here for their, I'm, unless they're planning on on rebadging Chrysler vehicles, all, like already meant for this market, like I wouldn't mind, because I mean, like Chrysler has really axed tons of their models i don't know what they they only have two models they have the pacifica and the chrysler 300 that's it yeah there you go they have a they have a old sedan like in in the chrysler 300 and while the look may may see may still be relevant there's nothing else that looks like it on the road what does it offer over any other modern sedan like for for my money i'll take an entry-level bmw audi or mercedes instead of a chrysler 300 Um, well that goes back to uh I mean, the the trend in domestic cars mm-hmm. right now is that they're removing the midsize sedans completely. Yeah. 
like uh, I mentioned to you off camera now, but I'll say, you know, the Chevrolet Impala, this mm-hmm. is an iconic car. This is the last year, the 2020 models are the last year mm-hmm. it's going. And that that's why uh, they're shutting down the Oshawa GM plant because they're not making the cars anymore. Yeah. Uh, so by February, the last cars will be off that line. And that's a trend for American cars. They can't compete with the Japanese and the Germans and whoever else comes in. So that's why they're going into crossovers. Part of the strategy why they're going to the Ford Mustang Mach-E is crossovers, SUVs, bigger vehicles. They know that's their market. Yeah. That's what they're going to target. To answer your question with Peugeot, I don't know what they really see. They just want to come back mm-hmm. in some capacity. So with Fiat, they have the five. They have limited options. Like you know, they have the the Spider One Two Four. They have the five hundred, and that's pretty much cancel the Spider One Two Four. No longer an option. I'm pretty sure the five hundred Abarth has been canceled. Yeah, it's, um, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah, and now I don't even know what the new five hundreds look like. Uh, the five hundred, five hundred L, and five hundred X. Yeah, which but, are awful. Like I, the five hundred is good, I guess, but the five hundred L and five hundred X are terrible vehicles. They look cool. But yeah, but oh, I never just, liked. Uh, I I think they look odd. Uh, yeah. That's that's not what they design in Italy either. Mm-hmm. That's not what they drive there. But uh, no, it's that's an example of what I hope Peugeot does not do to try and, and justify their move to a North American market is design a whole new so, car. Like you just said about R&D, mm-hmm. you need to understand your market. Honda and Toyota do so well because they've been established here for so long. The, the Accords, uh, Camrys are designed in North America at, nor- at the North American plants and built here for the market. I feel like you know if, if Citroen is sitting across the, the ocean and and planning on on building vehicles for our market i just i see the same the only one i can really see so the one thing about peugeot for those that don't know Mm -hmm. uh they're known for being very reliable and they have great interiors like they they looks like a bmw or an audi Mm -hmm. inside but it's very economical and reliable and a lot cheaper so i can see them having some success with the 3008 suv here potentially Mm -hmm. um one thing so i'll talk a little bit about peugeot their history for those that don't know and or weren't I know there's it's a very niche for for especially North America mm-hmm. fans of uh, European cars like the French the Italian cars. So Peugeot was founded in 1809 as a company that made uh, coffee grinders and bicycles. I heard yeah I've heard and, of that. And uh, and yeah. they still actually make they still make them. They still make uh, they have a whole division of just culinary equipment hmm. in addition to insurance and uh, bicycles, motorcycles. It's a very diversified company as well as their their cars. So they've done, you know, like I said, they're very reliable. There's actually some in Africa. If you go to North Africa, you'll see still 1950s Peugeots still running. Wow! All these years later, that they're that well built. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a well known brand in Europe. The one thing I remember when I was in Italy uh, almost 20 years ago now, in the year 2000, I, the one distinctive thing that I remember seeing driving around was the Peugeot logo, the lion. The lion, that's right. Uh, yeah. And I just thought that was the coolest thing, being a seven-year-old. Like, I've never seen that in North America. Yeah. That's really cool. And then you get to kind of like, okay, what what's that? I've never seen this mm-hmm. back home. And then it opens your eyes to the others, the Renaults, the Opals, and so many different types of cars, the Skodas that we don't, Skoda, have, yeah. that we yeah. don't have here. One of James May's favorite cars. Yeah. But, uh, or favorite brands. Yeah, so there's a lot of brands that, you know, uh, the, the regular North American consumer doesn't know. But yeah. that's why they want to come back here and kind of be exposed again. They used to be here. They were here for 33 years from 1958 to, ni- to 1991. Really? And, and they weren't selling. And Where did they go? Like, they, wh- where are the cars? If they were sold here, like, they, were they all scrapped? Like, what the hell happened to them? Uh, I have not seen one Peugeot on the road. I don't know. They're probably in a heap somewhere. Yeah. But um, 
Or well, I, I think, think there no, was... no, not in Canada. It was in the U.S. Oh, in the U.S. Yeah. Okay. So, but there was a there was a big trend um, in I think the '60s and '70s to bring small Italian cars here, and it followed like similar to what they displayed in uh, Ford versus Ferrari, where it was like, you know, cheap light speed, right? And, and yeah. yes, the the muscle cars had the power, but um, there was also like a little bit of a of a flavor for like these European cars to race. Yeah, that was uh, well, yeah, the early the '60s. Uh, there was um, I can't remember what. There was a popular show in the 80s about a detective who uh, he drove like a 1958 Peugeot. Like that was his car hmm. and on driving around yeah. solving cases. Yeah, but I mean, back then, yeah, you're right. They were, when they first came in, there was a, a it was demand exotic. for it. Yeah, it was yeah like exotic. A, there was a need for exotic vehicles. And we saw that in Ford versus Ferrari. They, yeah, we also saw that in the Fiat 500 when it first came out. You couldn't get one. And yeah. they were charging like almost double what the, like it was anyone who overpaid for a Fiat 500. Like, oh my God, I would feel terrible now. Yeah. But there was so much hype and demand about these cute, sexy little cars. And, and another thing with FCA, in. well, and this is FCA's case, but they could face the same uh, result as uh, Alfa Romeo when mm-hmm. they came, when they're here now. It's so niche that you barely see any on the road. And I could see, that's also a downfall for Peugeot. I could see them yeah. not being relevant enough, but... I mean, they think there's a market for it. They want to come back and, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, all the best to them. I think it's it's good for, for our market. I'd like to see as many cars as possible. I think if they the come roads. here, they got to release something different. If they want to standardize a electric drivetrain through all of FCA and, um, and Peugeot and all their subsidiaries, standardize an electric drivetrain, bring new vehicles here, new electric vehicles, and sell electric vehicles in North America because – who are you going to one up with your 1.8 liter turbo? Everything is now is turbo. And guess what? Hyundai's doing it well. Uh, I mean, Honda's doing it okay. I have the inside on Honda, so I, I know about the problems. But, um, you know, there's 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 people here who have been here. Volkswagen has been doing it for, for generations. So bring something different. If you're, if you're going to come to this market, that's the plan. Then make sure that you bring, an, I would say, an electric vehicle. Try to be an ambassador for the future. Do not try to do what other companies have done, other European automakers have done for years. If you're going to come in, they have space. they have the electric vehicle lineup to do that and to yeah. compete very well in the market. So, so that makes sense. If they bring those in mm-hmm. alone, they can do really well. Mm-hmm. And but we'll see. And another thing I like about Peugeot, so they do have a history of uh, of racing as well. They've won Le Mans three times, um, and they've they're really big on rally mm-hmm. racing, rally cars. That's right. Yeah. They won the, the Dakar Rally, you know, the race where they go around the world. They drive through the continents. I think the Dakar Rally is, is through the desert, is it not? Uh, so with Dakar, they, every 10 years, they, mm. they do one continent for, per decade. Oh, I so see. So they did Africa up until the late 2000, 2000s. That's why. The, this decade, they've done through South America. So they've oh. driven through the Amazon. And um, so they won seven times, most recently two years ago in 2018. And 2020 onward, they're going to be in the, the Arabian Peninsula. Wow. They're gonna be racing through the Middle East, so that's very cool. I always thought that was really cool, and uh, be awesome to go check that out. Yeah, I think there's a movie from like the '80s or '90s with um, Johnny Depp. I think he goes to cover a Dakar rally. He goes to to cover something. It's a weird movie. It's about like being like a psychedelic uh, journalist. Forget oh. about it. I didn't like it. My brother liked it. He showed it to me. I, didn't I like just, it. I know. I think it's a cool. I mean, we don't even talk about that here. It's a mm-hmm. kind of a shame. It's pretty big around the world, but yeah. 
like everything, like most things in North America, we're all in our own bubble. Sadly. You're right, but it's another example of displaying your vehicle's reliability and uh, and uh, engineering uh, prowess through performance. Yeah, if you can then, survive a Dakar rally, then you well, can probably I mean, survive your day to day. Le Mans is, was you know the endurance of a 24 hour race. This yeah. is you're going. There's no you're going off road in the Dakar rally. Like yeah. you're going through. You're plowing through sound sand dunes. You're driving through villages in the middle of the Sahara. Mm-hmm. So if you can win that, like that's your car has balls. Yeah, for sure. I'd be so curious to see how many, for FCA's sake, how many newer Jeep Wranglers and Ram 1500s could could make it through a Dakar rally and allow them to modify it as best they want. I think that'd be a great move, considering those are the two nameplates they sell the most of. Send out you send your off road vehicles through the Dakar Rally. Let's see what they can yeah, do. Yeah, we can see send well Jeeps. I'm they have I, and the new like the Jeep the you know the Trailhawks. The, I think they would do mm-hmm. really well if they modify it, change it up, and then like the ma- Trailhawk, um, the ones for the uh, like in the other because Trailhawk is a badge they put yeah, on their vehicles. So like anyway, basically a Grand Cherokee, but modify it to to go into plow mm-hmm. through sand dunes. Yeah. I think they do really well, but mm-hmm. I'd li- I'd be curious to see Dodge Ram. In those rallies. I, thought, I thought you were having a stroke there. The new 1500 Motor Trend Car of the Year. That's Dodge Ram. Oh, man. Yeah. I miss those commercials. I know. What happened to them? Guts, glory. Guts, Ram. glory, Ram. <laughs> um, hey, that's no, a, a profitable uh, Jeep and Ram. Very, yeah. very profitable. Uh, they're good for looking FCA. trucks. Yeah. Yeah. They're good looking trucks. I the, think uh, that, the uh, other brands, uh, I read an article uh, Chrysler and Dodge. It, it just the quote in the article was less interesting brands. That's all they said, hmm. which uh, I guess it's a nice way of putting it. It's true. But, um, you know, the, that fate has befallen essentially every domestic automaker other than Ford. Ford's managed to stay relevant, but not without their fair share of grief. I mean, they just axed all their small cars uh, not too long ago. You don't see any cars anymore. They got the weird Eco Sport, I think, is one of their smaller vehicles. Eco Boost, baby. Yeah, well, that, and that, that's what they invested in. They invested in uh, turbocharging as, yeah. as their future until, I guess, electric uh, comes through. Well, they've been well, at Eco Boost for, it's been, what, 10 years now that they've had. Uh... Eco Boost, yeah. Eco Boost came out. I'll, I'll never forget it. When it first came out on the trucks, my dad was a huge, uh, like he said, oh, it'll never replace a V8. Oh, oh no replacement for displacement and, and you know, and, and that whole thing. Um, but the minute he got his hands on his first EcoBoost, I think it was a 2016 Platinum. It was his first EcoBoost. 20, yeah, 2015. It was the first year. They came out with the F-150 and the Mustang at the same time. This current gen Mustang first came out in 2015. Same thing as the, as the current F-150 before the mid-cycle refreshes, of course. Um, he got his hands on an EcoBoost and he was blown away by the fuel economy, the power, uh, at highway speed. That when he drives around, you know, it, it drives around like a normal engine, but when you need the power, it comes on. And and since then, he's had <clears throat> he's had uh, and they were they're reliable. He's had now three trucks with EcoBoost simply because he just he he just goes through them quickly. Uh, he works them, so he doesn't like to, to keep them when the repair costs get high. But he's never had any issues with the engines, like you know maybe issues because uh, because the the specs that he ends up getting have larger wheels mm-hmm. and and different things that, that do cause parts to wear more aggressively. Uh, but he's never had any, any real issues with the drivetrain itself. And that's why he's a, he's a longtime Ford proponent. Like, he's a, he stands by Ford. And then I would be surprised. I would, I would be very interested to see what his next vehicle will be once the electric uh, drivetrains come to trucks. Because I know that he'll, 
he'll want to have an electric truck at some point. He's looked into it for a long time. So and and Ford made a huge investment in Revan, Revan. I don't know how to say it, but they're they're an electric truck company, mm-hmm. and I guarantee a lot of their influence helped to release the Mus- the Mustang Mach E at the time they did. Because what you said about R and D, they they invested something like ten or a hundred million in Revan. It was a, yeah. it was a huge amount. Going kind of harking back to the Ford versus Ferrari thing, dump money into something. And, well, and I mean, you'll... they better be prepared to dump money in not just R and D, but I mean the the battery infrastructure. Is, yeah, the batteries the the most expensive. What part happens of... when we run out of lithium, Joe? Which well, lithium well, we have the to next mine, oil. Uh, yeah, well, eventually it's finite, right? Yeah. So you're gonna have to go. There'll be wars fought in the Congo for yeah. it. So uh, I'd I'd love to see what the what the um the efficiency factor is for fuel for petroleum versus lithium. Because if, if you're consuming less, because lithium you put in a battery, and I guess it's it's significantly like you instead of filling up a tank of fuel, a cell of fuel, you have a, a an amount of fuel that you're able to recharge all the time. So I guess it would be less. But our entire uh, they're getting world better is and running better. on lithium. Yeah, but they're yeah. getting better and better at it. And uh, I mean, like I was saying before, like it's the batteries. So we've come a long way in four mm-hmm. years. 2015, the battery took up 54. 57 percent of the actual cost of the yeah. of, of making a vehicle mm-hmm. an electric vehicle now it's down to 33 percent it's going to get up down to 25 and under in four or five years mm-hmm. and uh then the powertrain is the next most expensive aspect of mm-hmm. of building uh the car but those are the two most important things in an electric vehicle so we'll see how that plays out and again the longer they do it the economies economies of scale are built mm-hmm. and the costs go down that's true so We'll imagine the and, and again for perspective imagine the complexities of building a vehicle right before mass production came in before like the 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 complexities of building an engine and i uh, again are you talking keep, about are you going back to like the horseless carriage days of- yeah because because that was you talk about economies economies of scale yeah once all the infrastructure is built things become significantly less and, expensive and to ford build. built its thing on exactly. mass production um, and um and one, uh, there's a figure that they state in um, in in the Ford vs Ferrari movie, and I love how we keep, can keep going back. That and and this is really representative of how good that movie is. Is that it tells a story that is so important to car culture, but even broader than that, to like, but just technology to, and yeah, industry just, itself, exactly industry culture. Be- so, and then another, like again, like uh, something I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. it because the movie was not just about the technical aspect; they had to consider marketing and strategy yeah. into it too. Mm-hmm. No, so it's they, a great. If you, merge. if you are a fan of any kind of like 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 business or uh, if you're if you're into that kind of realm, it's a great movie for that too. But I love the the the, the statement that um, Ford. I think it was Henry Ford or someone at the Ford Motor Company says, you know, uh, Ferrari builds six thousand cars a year. Maybe it was six hundred cars a year, something like that. We build like six thousand a day or something. Oh yeah, yeah. The guy that was in the board and we're like, oh we build more in one yeah, day than they, they do build in an entire year. year. Yeah. yeah. It was it's crazy to think of that. That they're just pumping out vehicles. Yeah. Well Ferrari was all handmade. These like very pristine workshops where people are just, you know, getting everything exact and perfect. And even with Peugeot when so they started in eighteen ten, eighteen oh nine, still under Napoleon. And oh they, my god. And they went from uh, <laughs> from bicycles to then within twenty years they they designed their first cars were with steam engines, and they were designing that oh before God. they went to combustion in 1896. So, hmm. it's, so uh, they're they're a nameplate worthy of uh, of some North American loving, I think. Uh, but that's very cool, interesting. So, so uh, some some interesting in, interesting insight uh, coming to you live on Time Lapse Podcast for what the potential future of FCA in North America is going to be. Uh, and I, I hope they uh, I hope they pull uh, pull out something. 
because um, I'm a little bit, uh, I thought the alpha line was going to be really cool, but you know, I, I've, I've heard some, uh, some long-term reviews of the cars not being re as reliable as they should have been, which is understandable considering it's a relatively new platform. And um, I, I hope that, uh, that they become more reliable because the next generation challenger and charger will be built on those, uh, on those, you know, uh, car platforms. Mm -hmm. If they if they continue to make them, which will be interesting to see. I I'd like to see an Alfa Romeo. Well, go back to their racing mm -hmm. pedigree and heritage, but mm -hmm. we'll see if they can combine. Well, they sponsored uh, the team, right? The F one team. No, but you know, but like for a car. Apparently, there's a there's a witch in the other room. Yeah, that's now, uh, happy Halloween. Bitch. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. But uh, I'd I like to see them like come out with a car that we can buy that's yeah. high performance like they used to be. But mm -hmm. come on, FCA. Yeah, honestly, they, they have a lot of work to do. Um, and, and you know what? Not just them. GM has a lot of work to do as well. What the hell has happened to like the design of some of their vehicles? Are complete, like, well, I, I haven't just, seen a good They're not looking... even relevant anymore to me. I, yeah, uh, I, I don't see any of them on the road. Uh, I've given customers a few rentals of like Buicks. Like Buick rentals. No, that's and stuff not good like to Buick, goddammit. No, Buick, yeah, Buick is I don't, I don't know. How is that who, still around? Who cross shops that kind of, those those I think they're people who have who have owned GMs for years and are caught up in like a lease and finance game with General Motors Canada. We're talking about the Canadian market specifically because what happens is if you have negative equity in a vehicle and you, and you want to get rid of it, but you, you don't you but you don't want to pay it out, you just go back to the dealership and you say, Hey, can I get in a new one? All right, don't dun, worry, dun, just dun, just dun, push dun, the dun, Yeah, dun. exactly. <laughs> Oh my God! Uh, what, what was the commercial? Uh, oh, uh, oh, is that your mom's Buick? No, that's my Buick. Oh wow! Oh wow! <laughs> what about? Uh, oh, we're being kicked out of the boardroom. Oh damn! My daughter forgot her cello for cello practice. Don't worry, we'll continue it in the car. And yeah, you you continue a boardroom meeting with all the other person knowing on the other line inside of a vehicle on your Bluetooth. <laughs> I think I think everyone here has spoken to someone on the ca in car Bluetooth. You can hear the road. <laughs> it's it's not that good. <laughs> Even you know, no matter how good they uh, they try to make it, but uh, but you know, I don't know. Buick, I think Buick will be the next one to fall. Same the same fate as Pontiac. Um, well, we'll see. GM, GM is uh, I don't know what they're gonna do. GMC's I always thought just their performance. Gotta, you got to go up against Dodge Ram. Yeah, that's, well, that's no, I, I always had faith in their performance and and light truck and even heavy duty truck lines because I think they're those. Well, are, GM still has Cadillac, so. Yeah, sorry. Cadillac is probably the, the the shining star of their fleet, but like you need the you need the less expensive cars for cash flow. Yeah, that's right. You need you need volume. Yeah. sales. But you and, don't even see too many caddies out there either. Yeah, I mean, it, it's getting tougher and tougher. I think the CTS is still a great car. The mm -hmm. ATS is a really cool. Oh yeah, they're car. really nice. I, but um, I, would I buy respectability? One? Would mm. I buy one over an Audi, BMW, or Mercedes? No, never. No, no I just I wouldn't. Yeah, it, for for the the same reason that. You know, I just have a, a stale taste in my mouth for domestic automobiles after like a two or three year mark. Have you ever driven an old, like uh, a, a domestic automobile that's a little bit older? Uh, the old minivan we had uh, was a Chevrolet. Uh, it just, yeah, it yeah. gets worse and worse. That, that might be a bad example, but yeah, but, uh, but there there is there is this feeling of slack that that these some of these domestic vehicles inherit over time that i feel like you don't get the same feeling from older bmw audi mercedes even even japanese cars cuz the build quality is a little bit higher it's built to a, a bit of a different uh, i standard. mean you notice slacks slack in some japanese vehicles that's it's natural yeah once they've been ragged on and beat down like fuck at the end of the day the japanese car i think will always outlive the domestic automobile. yeah I'm, I'm, but i'm talking about after 10 15 years but yes. i mean in a domestic yeah. it's after the third yeah 
that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's a, there's a bit of a scale there. Um, yeah, you know, that's uh, that's very interesting. Uh, do we have anything else that you'd like to cover? Uh, as as a as a as a is the term Bergeron Bergeron like burgeoning? No, I'm coming up with words just for the no, podcast. I, I think I have no idea what you're talking as about. As a as a blooming flower of uh, of industrial perspective, do you have anything else you'd like to share? About, uh, no, I mean, I was going to mention, you know, we had a conversation before about uh, Mercedes versus Honda, and you you would say, like, oh, don't get a Mercedes because you, you just have so much fun driving a, a Honda. But well, come on, you can't be no, luxury. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. No, 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 I wouldn't say that. I would say that you there's a time in your life to get a Mercedes, and then there's a time in your life to get a Honda. And and that's not just about those two brands. You can you can put Toyota in, in that latter category, and you can put Audi in, in the former category. There's a time in your life to own a reliable, robust vehicle that will serve all your daily needs. And then there's a time in your life to treat yourself with luxury. But I think like Mercedes new marketing campaign for the CLA where it's like, uh, don't let anyone tell you that you can't drive a Mercedes when you're young. Okay, well, hold on. I get that you're trying to sell your inexpensive CLA to a younger crowd, but if you're trying to tackle like, you know, the young fun thing, you're really just talking about people's thing of uh, they want to be seen driving a Mercedes. Well, they should stick with their brand proposition for which they've had forever, which is it's based. You sell the vehicles based on success. Buying a Mercedes Benz is, has always been, and is supposed to be a milestone in your life yes. as a reward. Exactly. To, of, as to your achievement, to your Mercedes Benz is the closest uh, in the automobile category to Rolex, where it is something that exists that is an attainable automobile, the same way Rolex is an attainable luxury uh, timepiece. They they are both attainable to the average middle class person, but you have to work hard to get there. And once you do, you reward yourself with that purchase. But why has Rolex not? Well, I mean, Rolex has Tudor, which exists in a in a in a you know a less expensive price category. But Mercedes puts the same. Uh, you know, brand on everything. Their CLAs and their S classes have the same three-pointed star, right? Mm-hmm. So, it who who knows? Uh, I but I seriously believe that the Mercedes that I would buy would not I wouldn't buy an entry level um, simply because there's so much good for for around the same price or even cheaper uh, coming out of coming out of more uh, more. Or less lux- luxurious automakers. Yeah, but if you're gonna get a Mercedes Benz, get go big or go home. Yeah, well, I agree with that. I, I but I, I, w- I would say don't get the CLA 250. Like, no, you the, know, don't don't do that because no. you're gonna be locked into a probably re- a relatively aggressive financing. Uh, there's gonna be maintenance on the car that you probably won't be able to afford, considering you're looking for a budget Mercedes, like not afford, but you probably don't want to pay. And uh, and and it's an overall like it's a complex vehicle. There's there's a lot going on there to give it the the, the attributes that you want. Uh, I guess it, it's tough because I'm I'm surrounded by these, and I always try to find uh, try to find similarities between watches. It's almost like telling someone don't buy don't buy the Rolex, just just wear a Casio. Okay, obviously that sounds dumb. So I don't I don't truly believe that that's that's my point. It's just that there's a lot of great out there, and and I just don't want people going into debt to 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 drive a car that they think will make them look cool does that make sense yeah it does but you i know? mean but people will are funded by that they in their yeah. own minds that's that's how it is but. exactly yeah you can't fight the nature it's human nature to, to yeah, always of course to, to or care like about. look at all the bmw3 series in in woodbridge i mean it's a yeah. 
Woodbridge yeah. in the 90s was Civics. Now mm. it's BMW 3 Series. That's all you see. Well, they made them more attainable. Yeah. Right? Uh, but I would say that there's a difference between entry-level BMW and Audi and entry-level Mercedes. Entry-level Mercedes yeah. is not the same. Um, in fact, Mercedes... That's not even talking about the A-Class, which is even uh, yeah, even like it, worse. It's, it's cool on the inside. I've sat in it. I've never driven one. They're cool. But uh, when you talk about entry-level Mercedes, you have to remember that Mercedes across the world, they make taxis. They make... They make trucks. They make, they trucks. make uh, they transport make, trucks. Yeah. Like yeah. They, they, if you get into an entry-level Mercedes, get ready for a lot of plastic, a lot of like you know cheap-feeling things. Whereas you get into an entry-level um, you know, Audi... Even even in the the threes, it may feel a little bit Volkswagen-y, uh, but it's still relatively good because I think Volkswagen has a high standard as far as interior quality, uh, as well as uh, a BMW is probably the best for value. If you want to get if you get into a newer BMW at the entry level, you're getting tech and and you're getting well appointed everything, but you're paying substantially less for it because they have to compete with the likes of Mercedes mm-hmm. and Audi. So uh, I just I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a little bit of a. I, I obviously have my own opinions, and the, this is where I share them on the podcast. But I would say, if you're a young car buyer and you're looking for your first car, and you think I'm going to splurge, I'm going to go for a CLA because the commercial told me I could have one. No, don't do it. Get get something reliable. Get something fun. If you like driving cars, get a car you can actually fucking drive, right? You you know like you you drive a Honda Fit that's manual. Yeah, but it's still really fun. Exactly. It's not powerful, but it feels like you're going fast even when you're not. Like it's a fun, practical, reliable car that it really does offer some some feedback to the driver, and you can find that everywhere, especially in the Japanese market because they they make you know really really good vehicles for a really great cost. Um, so there's 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 a, just a hell of a lot out there, and and don't buy a car because of a commercial, even though in marketing but, but that's the what they're Ford, hoping. That, but know. buy the Ford Mach E because Idris Elba's in it. Though. Exactly, that's true. And yeah. when that uh, electric G wagon comes in twenty twenty four, is there an electric G wagon? coming No, out? but I, I oh. that's my prediction. I think they eventually they will. They'll Mercedes, uh, Mercedes will electric. They have the um, the fifty three lineup or fifty five lineup, and all the all the fives I think are going to be hybridized vehicles. And Mercedes hybrids are gonna. Obviously, like they're they're gonna say that they have, have the like F1 inspired hybrid systems. Entire, uh, imagine an know. entire S class. Heard of Lewis Hamilton's? Vehicles. Yeah. No, well, I, I I I do love Mercedes. I'm a fan of uh, of their cars, but um, I just think that you know you, it's it's got to be like Rolex. You got it. You got to get there first, and you got to buy the one that's the good one. That that's the only part of the watches we've spoken about. I know, but, right? Uh, just a little bit today. Yeah. yeah. Not too bad though, but, Joe. Uh, if I can just leave off on one thing before we go, so. It's a Christmas season, and this is like a PSA message, but I'll keep it brief. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, Merry Christmas to you, Anthony, oh, well, and to everybody, you, uh, everybody this listening. Is, this is the most, uh, the most, the nicest you've ever been to me. But continue. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Let's just keep in mind as we're wrapping up. It's you know we're almost close to Christmas. Just keep in mind that you know there's a lot. Do what you can. It's a season of giving, and really, you should be giving 365 days a year because humanity and kindness don't end mm-hmm. after December 25th. But uh, you know, if giving toys is great, but let's not forget those people who don't have families, who the elderly, those mm-hmm. that we know that don't have families or alone. Let's keep them in mind this Christmas. Visit people that you haven't seen in a while. Say hello. Flash a smile. Talk to people, and and especially with food banks. I, I know I'm fortunate enough to uh, to enjoy a bountiful meal, but a lot of people don't. So let's not forget those people this time of year. And uh, let's just try and do something. Uh, this has nothing to do with cars, but 
Let's bring a little bit of humanity to a world that really needs it as we go into a new year and a new decade. Yeah. Um, it's something that we desperately need right now. So just keep that in mind in the se- season of giving and uh, let's, let's enjoy with everybody and uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Joe, that was that was very kind and very sweet. I'm not and I'm not joking right now. I'm not trying to I'm not being sarcastic. That was a that was probably the the best tangent uh this show's ever had. So it was the only tangent. We kept it pretty uh Yeah, uh, we we have a couple of a friends few. who wanted me to say something controversial, but sorry guys. Sorry guys, it, it didn't it's happen. The season of giving. Um yeah. to to that point though, I do want to say one thing and thank you for that. Um that was that was beautiful. Be- beautifully said. Um I drove by a, a church poster and 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 I drive by this church all the time on my way into work and they post these, you know, funny things on their, um, what do you call it? Their oh yeah. The, um, the billboard. Yeah. The billboard. Yeah. And, uh, but one, one I actually kind of like thought was, was pretty, was pretty real. It said, uh, get rich quick scheme, count your blessings. And it's like, haha. But then you start thinking about it. And this time of year, just like, uh, I guess Thanksgiving is a time of year to do it as well, but it, it is really important to count your blessings. Like you said, and on this show, we talk a lot about luxury things. We talk a lot about things that, People strive for material items, cars, watches, of course, that things that we define ourselves with. But uh, you kind of struck a, a chord with me there in saying that you can you can always be passionate about that stuff, but there's more important things. Right? Yeah, and health, even with and of course family. health, family, and uh, mm-hmm. but even you see it because you work in the dealership. You so you see the high rollers coming in and getting the luxury models, and then you see you know average people who mm-hmm. just need a vehicle to to get around and. Yeah. I always thought that was great because a car always tells a story yeah. of a person. Um, obviously, there's those people that, and there's a lot of people who uh, buy expensive cars out of their means, but that's on them, mm-hmm. and uh, they reap what they sow. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. I agreed. Agreed. So on that note, uh, I want to say thank you to everyone for listening. I want to say thank you to Joe for uh, thank for, you for having me. It's uh, it's great. Uh, I don't really get to talk to about cars as much and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm starting to get back into them after a period of a few years where I've had to do, you know, get uh, other stuff done. But uh, getting back into cars, I've always been in it, but not kept up uh, with with news recently. But the latest um, industry developments have been uh, really interesting, uh, as as you as you know, uh, based on our discussion. So um, mm-hmm. we're in a period of transition. Should be an interesting decade coming up. To 2020, the third decade of the century. Amazing. Yeah. No, it's incredible. Time's kind of scary. It is a little bit, but uh, it's an exciting time to, to be alive and to be doing stuff like this. Yeah. Um, so before we start to go Lord of the Rings, uh, the third movie here with multiple endings, uh, <laughs> I'm going to end it here. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Once again, thank you, Joe, for being on. And thank you for hosting me here in beautiful Shulik. Uh, it's a great, great uh, building, great uh, campus here. Um, and uh, and we will uh, we will be back probably in a few weeks. Um, I'm also planning on doing a podcast with Double Clutch, a Canadian automotive uh, magazine. So keep an eye out for that, everybody. And, um, and otherwise, since this will be probably the last time I speak to you before the Christmas holidays, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. We'll, uh, we'll see you guys in 2020.